Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. The Adam Shine Podcast. Episode 64 of the Adam Shine Podcast, and we have a tremendous guest this week. Brad Gilbert, ESPN tennis analyst, is with us on the Adam Shine Podcast. I was so into Wimbledon. So we're going to talk to Brad Gilbert about Djokovic. We'll talk to him about the best tennis player of all time. We'll talk to him about everything going on with his teams, his Twitter feed is ridiculously amazing. He is, and obviously he's a former tennis player, former uh, tennis coach. He is a tremendous sports fan, grew up in the Bay Area, loves his teams. He's a must-follow on Twitter, must-listen and watch on ESPN. And there are so many reasons to talk to Brad Gilbert, including this. Brad Gilbert has a couple of cameos in the show that... Katie and I are currently watching Red Oaks, which was on Amazon years ago, and we're catching up. We have two friends, my buddy Nick, my buddy Dave, and they said you had to watch Red Oaks. And, you know, we belong to a club, and, you know, playing tennis is such a big deal, and Katie is an excellent tennis player, and, you know, my buddies Nick and and Dave and among others, they, they love playing tennis. I'm, I'm a newbie to the game. I love it. I'm obsessed, but these guys are competitive. It's fun. And so Brad Gilbert will talk to him about it. He's got a great cameo, three seasons of Red Oaks, and it's, it's Paul Reiser's in it. It's fantastic. It, it's about a, a club, a country club, and the members in, in the mid-1980s in New Jersey. It's, it's hilarious. It's tremendous. So that's the latest thing that Katie and I are, are watching. You know, we really have enjoyed, you know, during the last, you know, year and change, watching and catching up on TV. The first show that we watched in the pandemic, I couldn't believe I didn't watch it in real time, right up our alley, was The Good Place, which is remarkable with obviously Kristen Bell and Ted Danson. I mean, that that show is is awesome. But, you know, the TV that we've watched, and you know, obviously, doing what I do for SiriusXM and CBS, I mean, it's all sports all the time. But I was thrilled to see Ted Lasso get all these Emmy nominations. I mean, that's just the perfect show. I mean, I find myself laughing literally at every single line in Ted Lasso. It's it's uh, for that genre on Apple TV and for a comedy in the right time. And it's so positive. And I'm a super positive person, as you know. Ted Lasso is is remarkable. Morning show on Apple TV. Give them awards as well. That was awesome. Can't wait 
for season two for for morning show jennifer aniston who you know i'm obsessed with uh, steve carell who i can't get enough of you know ted lasso season two is coming out mayor of east town is as good as it gets like that is on the mount rushmore to me of shows i don't know if they can have a second season you know you'll never get a spoiler on a television show from me but that that was as pulsating and powerful Eight episodes on HBO Max, I, I just couldn't stop. I mean, you know, twists and turns and, oh my goodness, we would watch an episode. I couldn't wait to watch the next one. You know, watch an episode or two at a time, finished it in a week. I was up all night thinking about it, what was going to happen next. Kate Winslet give her every single award. That That's an all-timer. For that genre of show, Mayor of Easttown was unreal. Succession was a big thing that we watched during the pandemic. And, you know, the trailer for the new season, which is coming out this fall, I can't wait for it. I was obsessed with Succession. We love the undoing and flight attendant. By the way, in that genre, I'd go with, uh, I thought undoing was, was much better than flight attendant. Did you see, by the way? Flight Attendant was nominated for Best Comedy? I mean, I, I watched Flight Attendant. That, that is no comedy. There, there's some funny moments, but that is certainly, that, that, that's more of a thriller. I, the Undoing was better. I like Flight Attendant. I'd give it a B plus. Undoing was an A minus. Mayor of Easttown was an A plus 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 for shows in, in that genre. Of course, the senior executive producer of the Adam Shine podcast, the great Bob Stew. Bob, have you seen Ted Lasso? Nope. Have you seen Morning Show? I never even heard of it. Have you seen Mayor of Easttown? I don't even know who won the election for mayor in New York, Adam. Have you seen Succession? No, I don't even know what that is. Have you seen Flight Attendant? No, no chance. Have you seen The Undoing? What is The Undoing and who is in it? Oh, my. Let's bring in our senior executive <laughs> associate producer of the Adam Shine podcast, the great Mikey Fitz. Mikey Fitz, have you seen Ted Lasso? I have. Have you seen Morning Show? I have. Have you seen Mayor of Easttown? I have. Have you seen Succession? I love Succession. Have you seen Flight Attendant? That is one I did not see. Have you seen The Undoing? Yes. Okay, so I, I feel better about things. Now, it sounds like in the tone of your voice, Succession, which is pulsating, amazing, the writing, the acting, incredible, of those that I just asked you about, is that your favorite? I would probably say Succession and Mayor of Easttown are, are my top two out of those. I do love Ted Lasso, though. I mean, that's a different show out of, you know, the ones that we mentioned. But Ted Lasso is hilarious. I cannot wait for season two. I can't wait for season two. Now, we're going to make Bob because this is pathetic. And I always say <laughs> part of the genius of Bob is, you know, he's not only an unreal radio and podcast producer. He is a huge sports fan, watches everything for himself, for the show, for me, for you. I mean, he's he's the best sports fan I know. And I'm I'm at the top of the list. Mike, you're at the top of the list. Bob is at the top of the list. That's one of the things they don't tell you. Oftentimes in sports or sports TV or sports radio, not everyone's as gigantic a sports fan as you want them to be. Bob and, and Mike and, and yours truly, we, we are at the top of the list, but no one's better than Bob. I think, Mike, if we had to start out, Bob, with one of these shows, 
I, I think he needs to watch Ted Lasso. Because there's a sports element, obviously, with soccer. I think he needs to watch Ted Lasso and needs to watch Mayor of Easttown and get back to us and do a review of those shows later on in the Adam Shine podcast. Do you agree with that, Mike? Yeah, I think that's the way to go. You know, just something light like Ted Lasso. He'll like it, like you said, because of the sports. It's hilarious. Great acting. And then, you know, Mayor of Easttown, that's just one of the best shows I've ever seen. Ever seen. Yeah, and Jason Sudeikis, I mean, he should win every award. Kate Winslet should win every award. I mean, Bob, are you up for that, for the good of the show and the podcast? You know, if we, if we, here's what you do, by the way. You just sign up for Apple Plus. We'll, we'll mm-hmm. get you. We will get you a subscription to the <laughs> Apple TV. Will you do that for the sake of the show and the podcast? I don't know. I'm going to have to find time between the NHL expansion draft. (laughs) You know, you got the NBA finals going on. You got Yankee baseball coming back. You know, you got soccer coming back in a month. I'll try to do it. I definitely want to see Ted Lasso. I will definitely watch Ted Lasso for the good of the podcast and good of the show. What is the mayor of Easttown? What is that even about? Just watch it. It's a thriller. What does that even mean? The writing is brilliant. The acting's off the charts. The character depth is amazing. You <laughs> care about these characters. I, I'm not even going to get into, you know, yeah. the, the two characters I dislike because I just watch it. Just trust me. It's it's off the charts amazing. You're going to do it. You're going to watch it. You're going to feel better. I mean, Ted Lasso puts you in a good mood. You need to watch it before season two comes out. And listen, Bob's not kidding about the expansion draft. He's he's one of these puckheads. He loves mm-hmm. hockey. It is crazy, though. Normally, this is the time of year in sports where we can all have a lot going on. You know, we had Wimbledon over the weekend, which was incredible. Euro 2020 was unreal with Italy taking care of business with the penalty kicks. That was pulsating. In fact, I watched that with my aforementioned buddies Nick and Dave and my buddy Stone, who we talk about on the podcast, who we fired from our fantasy league. Uh, he was there. My buddy Andy, we watched that at the uh, the club that we belong to. The Major League Baseball All-Star Game, Shohei Otani. What a show that was. Unprecedented genius and greatness. You know I'm obsessed with Shohei Otani. I have been since he came over from Japan. I got my you know breaking tea, uh, show no shirt in 2018. I can't get enough. And these NBA Finals, they started slow. First three games were lopsided. Game four was a classic, an absolute classic. And that Yannick, that Giannis Antetokounmpo block, that's a play, that's a defensive stop, that's a block for the ages. One fourteen to go. Still can't believe it. Booker driving. And you have uh, Giannis Antetokounmpo trying to go at Booker on the pick and roll. And then he stops on a dime, goes and... He realizes that Booker is going to pass to Aiton. He just goes up and gets it and blocks it. It would have tied the game. An instant slam dunk. Wow. If Milwaukee wins a championship, they'll build a statue of that play outside the arena. That will go down in history as one of the best defensive plays in sports history. I mean, it's the LeBron block of Iguodala. You know, you think about Malcolm Butler. I mean, it's it's on that list in terms of the time scored championship situation. You know, Giannis has been remarkable in these NBA finals. Chris Middleton with 40. That was huge. I can't believe they didn't call that sixth foul on Devin Booker. Booker was unbelievable. Had 42 points, but... 
I mean, how do you not call it? He he mauled Drew Holiday with 3.41 to go. If Phoenix ended up winning that game, then we would have been talking about that for months like we did with the Rams and the Saints and the non-call on Championship Sunday a few years ago. Chris Paul was atrocious, but I still believe that Phoenix will win at home in Game 5, and I still think Phoenix is going to win a championship this year in the NBA. Brad Gilbert from ESPN is the featured guest coming up next on the Out of Time Podcast. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey everyone, this is Nicole Auerbach and I want to invite you inside the Coaches Clubhouse, a brand new podcast from SiriusXM that examines what drives coaches on and off the sidelines. We talk to coaches from all different sports and all walks of life about their passion for the profession, their mentors, philosophies, and stories, and also what they care about when they're outside the spotlight. We'll give you a unique perspective on some of the greats in their profession, from Olympic coaches to Super Bowl champions and everyone in between. New episodes out every Wednesday on the SiriusXM app, Pandora, and Apple Podcasts. The featured guest this week on the Adam Shine Podcast, one of my favorite people to watch and listen to in terms of his tennis and in terms of everything in terms of commentating on sports. He's great on television. His Twitter feed is incredible. Love watching him play tennis as well. The greats, Brad Gilbert. Brad, welcome to the podcast. How are you? Good morning, and thanks for having me on, Shine, uh, and thanks for all the, the, the nice things that you just said about me. appreciate it. You are so smart on television. Your Twitter feed is great. I know what kind of athlete you were and how much you love sports, and there's so much I want to talk to you about, but let's start with Wimbledon over the weekend because, honestly, I was obsessed. I, I love Wimbledon, love watching. I love Djokovic. 20th Grand Slam, he gets his championship at Wimbledon. How many more do you think Djokovic can ultimately win? Um, I started thinking about this, you you know, Shine, last week. And honestly, I I, I really feel like at 34, he's better than he is at 24. He's serving better. Uh, maybe mentally he's even saying that he's better than ever because he knows how to problem solve no, no matter what the situation is. Movement is still off the charts. And I feel like he's a young 34. So let's take the next 12 slams. 
uh, over the next three years. I think he's going to be solidly, you know, at least in the next six or eight, prohibited favorite. So I'll go conservatively. I think he wins at least five to seven of the next 12. So I, I think conservatively he's around 25 to 29. And I think that, you know, he's just going to blow away, you know, anybody. Um, I think Rafa might win another one, possibly two. And, you know, I'd be shocked, you know, if, if Roger ever won another one. Nobody ever defeats Father Time. I mean, he's still amazing at almost 40. But, but Djokovic is going to blaze a trail now that just, you know, I'll never see anything like this in my lifetime. That's for sure. I'm with you, and I love the math and how you did it because, you know, you hear five, seven more Grand Slam titles, and it might sound crazy to the year, but you watch him play and you give the reasons why he's better. I, I love it, and I'm obsessed with his genius and his greatness. Brad, how do you compare Djokovic, Federer, and Nadal? Uh, it's an interesting question. You know, how do you compare I mean, they're all three completely different players, that, uh, and they all, you know, amazingly lifted each other to, you know, levels that made them each grow. Um, you've never seen three amazing players at the same era. Um, it would be like, you know, Babe Ruth, Joe DiMaggio, Hank Aaron playing at the same time. Yeah. You know, and so... You know, all three of these guys, after Sampras won 14, you'd have thought, okay, it'll at least be 20, 30, 40 years before you see something like this. And then sometimes when you have somebody incredibly great, like Fed, you know, then he made Rafa, he made Joker continue to get better. And I think that now you're seeing this in all sorts of sports. It used to be when I was playing, you turned 30, Man, you were on the other side of your career. How many times do we see players when I was a kid, you know, in their late 30s, and they look broken down from other sports? They just, you know, father time got them soon. And so you see somebody like Tom Brady that father time, that he's beating. So I, I do believe now that athletes are making, you know, concerned effort that, like, you know, when I'm 35, I'm nowhere near done. If I take care of myself, keep working on my game, keep trying to get better, I can do, you know, still great things, and that's what you're seeing. And um, I think they've lifted each other. And a little bit, I'll just say for Djokovic, the chase. He chased these two guys forever. It took him forever to catch them, his perseverance, his strength to catch them. And he's got a head-to-head winning record against both of them. What he's done is just simply off the charts. We always talk about Mount Rushmore, you know, LeBron, Michael, always have fun in sports. And it's not easy, obviously, especially in an individual sport like tennis, Brad. Got to talk about the era, the competition, you know. You referenced when when you were playing, you know, you hit 30, quote-unquote, over the hill. Do you have a tennis, a men's tennis, Mount Rushmore, top four all-time best in the history of the sport? Oh, it's a piece of cake. I mean, uh, I mean, if, if, if in the open era, I go from, you know, men's professional tennis of 68, and I'll give you five as Borg, which 
amazingly, you know, he he, he bagged it at 25, never yeah. went to Australia. He'd have had a lot more total. Pete at four, um, at 14, and he stopped at 31 as well. Um, and then three, two, one. We'll just say, you know, Fed fans. If you ever thought in New York, Derek Jeter fans, were, <laughs> you know. I mean, Roger Federer has Derek Jeter fans in every city. No matter where he plays, it's a home game. He could play Murray in London, and it's still a home game. Maybe the only place that it's not a home game if he's playing Rafa in Spain or he's playing uh, Novak in Serbia. His fan base is incredible. So if you say anything wrong about them, they jump on you. But at the moment, I'll, I'll just say, you know, he he was one you know a minute ago. He's probably sliding to three. Rafa is two, and Joker's one. But that still be determined, you, you know, over the next two three years. I mean, obviously, if Joker does numbers that we expect, but you never know too if Rafa's still got another chapter left in him. You know, I, I would love to see more than anything. I'm I'd for- drop and give you a hundred push-ups to see Rafa and Joker play at the U.S. Open final. You know, both of them going for blackjack 21, Rafa trying to stop, you know, Joker from winning, a, a, you know, a calendar slam. And, you know, they've never played at the Open. I mean, I mean, not, not in a match of that gravitu- gravitas. Uh, I would love to see that. That would be amazing at the U.S. Open. What would it mean in terms of a historical context, Brad, for for Djokovic to get that, the season Grand Slam, we're going to go back to Rod Laver, last time that happened, what would that mean for him? And look, you have him right now, number one on your list, Mount Rushmore. What what would that mean for a historical perspective if he could do that this season? Um, well, obviously, you know, we've seen it in the women's side, 88, Steffi won the Golden Slam, which was... You know, just an absolutely amazing season. And obviously, we're, you know, we were not in social media. We were not in things. You still had to get the newspaper. You know, things yep. were not the same as what they are. And, and remember, about six years ago, Serena was two matches away uh, from the calendar slam. And the Da Vinci Code, you know, came up big and beat Serena two matches away. But if you told me in this era that he was able to pull this off, I, I just wouldn't have believed it. Uh, it is so difficult, you know, to win the French and Wimbledon back-to-back. And then obviously when Laver did it and Budge did it, you know, Australia used to be last. And when they did it, three of the four slams were on grass. So basically you're telling me now it's, okay, it, four, it, four different surfaces. Um, it would it, be the greatest achievement in men's tennis history. There's no doubt about it. I loved watching Sampras. I'm 44 years old. I I love watching tennis growing up. I, I loved Sampras. What made Sampras a Mount Rushmore tennis player, Brad, in your opinion? Um, you, you know, I still have nightmares thinking about it because obviously, you know, I coached against him in numerous big matches. You and know, we're going to get to that in a second. Him, yeah. Um, and I played him nine times. Um, you, you, you know, the amazing thing about Pete that sometimes you don't know what, you know, how to define greatness. 
Um, and I do say about greatness for some of the greatest athletes in other sports that when things are at the highest stakes, things slow down for them. Things actually become clear. Like things slow down for Tom Brady, for Michael Jordans, for Wayne Gretzky's, for Serena. They slow down. So Pete actually is the kind of guy that, let's say I might scout him all week, you know, before he's going to play Andre. And, and you're thinking, God, he's, you know, he's been scratching and clawing some matches here. You know, looks like he's, you know, you know, vulnerable this week. And then at the business end of the tournament, throw the stats out the window, he had the rare ability when it counted most to play at his highest level. Mm. Um, I remember when Andre played him in the 99 finals of Wimbledon. I felt, felt really good about Andre's chances. I mean, he'd been playing great ball. And I studied, you know, a lot of, you know, Pete's matches there. I don't go back and study, you know, three years and look at all the sets. Okay, I just go by the eye test, what I'd been seeing. And I remember that Pete was averaging around 98 miles an hour on his second serve for six matches at Wimbledon. But he knew Andre was crunching returns and playing, you know, probably his highest level ever. It just won the French. So Pete says, you know what? Whatever the stats say, whatever I'm doing, I'm coming big. And I remember, I think his second serve average for that day, he juiced it up 17 miles an hour. His second serve average was 115. Wow. And there's just no, okay, there's nothing in the stats. There's nothing in, you know, know, when you scout somebody. I didn't see that coming that day. I mean, Andre had a sniff in the first set, three all, love 40. I'm feeling like, okay, he's going to get the break. He's going to win the set. And you know what Pete said? Not on my watch. The eraser was out five bombs in a row, and then the match turned in like a seven-minute period. And he had that rare ability to, you know, be able to peak and manage himself. And I don't think he also was so, like, focused on what his opponents you know, needed to do and strengths and weaknesses. I think he really was one of those simplistic guys that really focused on what he needed to do. And if he did what he needed to do, he couldn't be stopped. Oh, I love that breakdown. I I love Sampras. I I was obsessed with Sampras. And I was obsessed with Sampras versus Agassi. I I love that. Different styles. and, And you were obviously a center of that rivalry and the back and forth. And you coached Andre Agassi, and I I love that. What was that like, coaching Andre Agassi at peak Andre Agassi? Uh, It was amazing fun. I mean, he's an an amazing person. Um, I, I think the thing that surprised me most about Andre when I started coaching him in 94, I was actually ranked higher, um, and I started coaching him while I was playing at Miami. And I, I didn't realize that, you know, he had a photographic memory and could remember every single rally of every single point. I have a really good memory, and I can remember the points. But I, I thought maybe he was a little bit aloof. And, he, and then all of a sudden we started talking about the match. And, like, I started telling him about, well, at 3, 4, 5, 30, you could have taken that ball. He could recite the 17-ball rally like he was a radio play-by-play. And I was like, oh, shoot, I better not be winging stuff. But 
Andre's got a heart of gold like nobody I've met. I mean, he's the kind of guy, if you go in the bunker, he's giving you the shirt off his back. And we had fun. We were great friends. Um, and I learned a lot from him, you know. And the thing that I probably, you know, understood and learned most, because I went from playing, and I was actually playing, you know, as a coach. Um, and a lot of times when you're a player, and even when you're a coach, you learn to see things through your own lenses. And I quickly learned that, shoot, what, what I did against Peter, what I did against somebody doesn't matter. It matters what, what I'm looking through Andre's lens, what he needs to do to get better and what he needs to play against him. And I, I do think a lot of coaches make a mistake and they look through their own lenses or they have a certain philosophy on how they want to do things. And I'm, I'm not like that. You know, I like to think that, you know, whoever I'm coaching, it's an empty canvas. And I'm looking through their lens. I'm trying to help them fulfill their dreams and get better. Um, but I would say that we had a ton of fun. We had some ups. We had lots of downs. We climbed back up. I mean, you know, like on a stock graph, we did ups and downs. <laughs> and, but it was a great adventure. I wouldn't have traded a moment of it away. Um, because sometimes when you crash, it makes the going back up that much better. What was that transition like for you? Because you were a heck of a player, singles, doubles. Did, what was that transition like going from player to player coach to coach? And did you always know, Brad, that you wanted to get into coaching? Um, you know, when you're 33, you, you don't exactly know what you want to do. I, I actually thought, Sean, I probably could have played till I was 35, 36. And you know, as an athlete, once you start thinking about the finish line, the finish line, forget about around the corner. It's, it's already happened. So actually at that point, when I started with Andre in 94, you know, I had no thought of coaching until he asked me to go out to dinner. Uh, and then we just started shooting the shucks about where he was headed in his career. And little did I know, he had a, a little short list of people that he wanted to interview. And, you know, you know, he was looking for a coach. And basically at the end of three hours, I was like, dude, I can help you. Let, let's start 9 a.m. tomorrow. And he goes, no, I, 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 never, I never hit before 11. I said, 9 a.m., we both got to play tomorrow and don't be late. You know, and so, like, that's how we just started. Wow. No contract, no nothing. I think I was ranked, like, maybe 25. He was ranked, like, maybe 31. 12, you know, he ended up losing to Pete in that final. And then 12 years to the day, he beats Pete in the tiebreaker in the third in 95. And then he went, he completely climbed the mountain, went to number one in the world. I lost six and six there to Todd Woodbridge. And then I put my racket in my bag because I remember we were going to Asia after that. And he's like, BG, where are you in the draw? And I'm like, dude, I'm done. And he couldn't believe it. I was like, so it, it was an interesting transition. It probably happened faster than I thought because this is something I was going to do. Um, sometimes your wife's biggest fear, Shine, is that, you know, you kind of become your dad through osmosis. Mm -hmm, I'd like mm -hmm. to think that I kind of became my coach, Tom Shimmington, through osmosis. And I just tell, I, I would always tell coach, you had to coach me and some others, man. I just, you know, the key to coaching is have somebody make you look good. So I, I, I had a good transition into it, but I just didn't know that that's what I was going to do at that moment. 
Wow. I mean, it's, it's a heck of a ride and a heck of a story, you know, becoming that, that incredible coach for Andre and others throughout the course of, of your career. And, and I always, and I mentioned how much I love your Twitter feed. You, I, just, I, I think you're just an incredibly knowledgeable sports analyst, sports fan. You know, I know you grew up in, in the Bay Area, live in, in Southern California now. You love those Bay Area teams. I, I love how much you, you, know, you value them. You grew up rooting for them. Take us through your childhood, Brad, as a diehard sports fan and how you still have those rooting interests in those teams you grew up rooting for. So we grew up in an era, there was no social media. Like, heck, we were just starting to get cable. So sports was, your li- was life. You know, you know, besides playing tennis, obviously, I, you know, played football, basketball, baseball. We played everything on the street. That was what life was all about. And growing up in the late 60s and 70s in Oaktown, we just had an amazing run. You know, obviously the A's won three world championships. The Raiders were incredible. I actually got to meet uh, Mr. Al Davis when I was like 11 years old. Oh, wow. Uh, and, and met Rick Barry because he was a huge tennis fan. And so tennis, you know, you know provided me a, a little vehicle, but I grew up obviously in a household that my dad, you know, loved sports. So I got a chance to go to see everything. But shining like this, by the time I was, let's say, nine, I already was, like, opportunistic because I was already scalping tickets at all three, and I would make big scores <laughs> at all three events. So there wasn't a, an event that I wasn't scalping tickets with my, uh, without my older brother probably until I was 19. The last, you know, big event that I did was the 81 Steel, uh, the Stones Tour, where I made a big score selling, like, I got maybe... 500 tickets for that show and that was it man then i went to asia playing on uh, like on the tennis tour it was i retired from scalping tickets and, and played tennis but sports you know i always actually sat there and thought about tactics in sports just like i do in tennis and every every sport i, I think about even though it's team i always think about who's trying to do whom to what what strength are they trying to apply the other weakness, vice versa? So I, I always do think about that, and I'm just incredibly passionate about the three Oakland teams, you know, and I was a little bit not on the San Francisco side. It's like, you know, Mets and, you know, oh, yeah. Yankees. It's like, so I was all East Bay because I grew up in the East Bay. How frustrating was it when the Raiders moved? And do you still follow the Raiders, still die hard as they moved to Las Vegas? Okay, you know that, like, in Oaktown, like, when they moved to L.A., I still came to L.A. Yep. You know, because I was really friends with this guy. Um, uh, his name was Doug Albo. His dad was the team doctor for the Raiders forever, and he was, like, Al Davis' closest guy. And... I would go down to, you know, games in L.A. I remember the 83, when I, the Super Bowl run. So, and then when they came back, you know, I'm still a diehard fan now in Vegas. I'm just incredibly frustrated that our defense is terrible and Chucky is just a really marginal 500 coach that's making the most money in our team. You know, I, I think our slogan is, Wait till next year, maybe next year. <laughs> but I'm extremely frustrated that 
we're not very good, and we've been stuck kind of like where we are for a long time. But I am a diehard Raider fan still. I am a diehard Dubs fan. I'm a diehard A's fan. Probably like you with your New York. 100%. That's exactly how I am with, with the New York teams and, and with the Yankees and with the Knicks and, and with Syracuse. And, you know, are you a believer, Brad, in, in Derek Carr? Do you think he's the guy? You know, and listen, Gruden has struggled coaching. You mentioned the 500 record. A lot of issues to me in game. A lot of terrible drafts, bad decisions. But I, I think Derek Carr has been a heck of a quarterback. Are you a believer in Derek Carr? You know, Derek Carr is solid. You know, That's the he word, yeah. He doesn't give you anything extra, but I, I believe that with the team that they got, you know, he's not capable of giving more. So I will tell you that if he was on a team that was loaded, I think he would be pretty, you know, I think he's capable. But I don't think he's elite. I don't think he's, you know, mediocre, but I think he's like a 12 to 15 quarterback type quarterback. So to win in the NFL, you better be unbelievably loaded on defense offense to be able to win with a quarterback like that. So I just don't think that he is elite. Like all of a sudden last year, like if you put with our team that was marginal, Let's say you put Aaron Rodgers on our team last year. Oh, yeah. Instead yeah. of being 8-8, eight and eight, despite the woefulness of, of Chucky Gruden's game decisions, I think they would at least be 11-5. and five. You know, uh, heck, even if they had Tom Brady, he might have, you know, won a couple of more games. So I don't think that, that Carr, you know, is the reason why we're not, you know, where we are. But he's certainly not like – he got no joker in his game. He's got no Rafa in his game. He's not going to give you, you know, he's just not going to make a play on his own. He's just not an elite athlete, in my opinion. Listen, I think 12 to 15 is a perfect range for Derek Carr. And, Brad, as someone who studies sports, been around sports, been around elite athletes forever, I mean, how do you describe what you see on a night-in, night-out basis from Steph Curry? You know what? If you probably ever watched both he's got a little bit of both Rafa and Fed in his game and he's just an amazingly first of all quality person amazing person that he's not like above anybody else um his skill set level is incredible but it wasn't given to him I mean he's worked his tail off to get there um and he's everything that's right in sports you know, he's not like, you know, they got to cater the rules for him. they got to make demands for him. There's a great little story a couple of days ago about DeMarcus Cousins was blown away by Steph Curry that, like, God, he doesn't ask for anything more. He, you know, it's like you're the best player in the league. I mean, you're like, there's nothing wrong with you. And it's like you're like one of the guys. No, no like, you know, 12-person entourage. And... I, I do think that he just totally gets it, and he competes for all the right reasons. So I, I do kind of compare him a little bit more to Rafa, that sometimes with, with a guy like Rafa, you don't know if, he, if he's up 5-0 or 5-0 down. He's got the mm. most amazing attitude on the court. Um, that's something I, I respect more about him than maybe just about any athlete I've ever seen. Um, so I, I, I put you know Steph 
you know, right up there. And I do think next year, you know, if a couple of if a couple of things go right, I think the Dubs can win 55 games. They can't make any of these dumb trades that keep being proposed. Listen, run for the hills if they talk about Bradley Bill, Damon Lillard. Um, I, I mean, I mean even Siakam. I mean, no way you want two six three guards or less. Ask Jerry West about that. As soon as he got on with the Warriors, immediately got rid of Monte Ellis and said. You know, Clay Thompson's our guy. You need a six seven. You know, one of your guards. You can't play with two guards six three or less. That's a recipe for disaster. Look at already the problem in Portland. So I do think that if they just get a couple of guys like you know good role players, and they have two draft picks this year, if they get if they draft Kispert, I think we win fifty five games That's without great. doing anything. Yeah, I'm so with you. Sometimes, sometimes doing nothing, shine is better than like. You know, making a big leap. If you make a big leap like that, ooh, I'm thinking their pain could be coming if they do one of those those crazy trades when you mortgage. No reason to be desperate. I mean, Steph is still at the top of his game. I mean, I I, th- I think he's the greatest outside shooter of all time. He's a winner. He's dominant, likable, great demeanor, as you say. You could argue last year was the best individual season of his career, all things considered. Clay's coming back. Steve Kerr is is the best. I think he's a gem. I'm with you here on the plan for the Golden State Warriors. And, Brad, before we let you go, I mean, we could talk about sports all day. You know, I mentioned all the shows to start the podcast that my wife and I have watched over the last year and change. You know, we belong to a club in town, and she's a really strong tennis player. And, you know, we, we've got friends who play tennis, and I'm starting to get into it. And I, I grew up playing baseball, and I love now taking tennis lessons and playing with friends. Brad, we had so many friends who said, you, you have to watch Red Oaks. You know, you belong to a country club. You got you to gotta watch Red Oaks. How did you get that cameo in Red Oaks? You were tremendous. Yeah, uh, first of all, yeah, that was a ton of fun back in the 80s. Um, actually, it was Andy Roddick's wife. You know who I used to coach, Andy Roddick, back in the day. His wife is an actress. And I guess her friend was producing uh, the show, at, like the last couple, at the end of the first season. And she said, I think that you, you know, they're looking for a tennis player, you know, slash somebody to be a doctor. And it's like, you know, Andy thought, you know, shoot, you'd be okay for this. And I was like, okay, sounds good. I obviously never acted. So, you know, I I met with the the people on the show and I said, sure, I could do it. And so they had me in to play Dr. Stan Feinberg. Yes. Uh, And so I was in the final episode of season one. I, I made like maybe four of them in season two, and then I lost for the club championship, the presidency, and they wrote me out for season three. I was totally bummed out, man. I was like, you know, I can play, like, politics at the club, but it was a ton of fun, you know, because obviously I played, and I know about that era of, like, 85, 86 at the club. Paul Reiser was really funny. Couldn't play a lick. Actually, none of them could play. We were playing with old school, you know, kid. I was trying to help a few of them with their tennis, but even the kid that was the the, the pro couldn't play a lick. But beautiful, <laughs> like old school Jersey Shore, and we filmed it up in Westchester, so it was a ton of fun. Doctor Stan Feinberg would like another gig in acting. 
I'm telling you, Dr. Stan Feinberg. I mean, you should win every award. I mean, right. And, and belonging to a to a club in Westchester, living in Westchester, New York now. I mean, Brad, I, I, I'm i dying watching it. The whole thing is hysterical. And the minute I saw you make that cameo, I said, not that I ever need a reason to talk to Brad, but he's got to be on the podcast because you're tremendous in what you do on ESPN. Love the Twitter feed. Must follow on Twitter. Love your love for your sports, your Bay Area teams, your career incredible, Jewish Sports Hall of Fame. Continued success, my friend, and we'll talk to you again real soon. Thank you, buddy. I'll just tell you one other thing, Sean. You, you would love this because you got great hair, and then the, the lady you know, was doing the makeup, and it's like she, she got out the aerosol can and wanted to put it on my head. I was like, no, nah, listen, man. I'm just bald. You know, I'm not going aerosol can hair. Can't do it. If I had Sean's hair, God bless it. Oh, that's good. I mean, for me, you know, I got the product going nonstop. You know, I'm literally we're taping this podcast now because I've got a haircut coming up in 30 minutes. I mean, for me, it's like haircut. That's first and foremost. And then you got to do the podcast around the haircut. I mean, the hair, you have it, aerosol can, makeup, on set, whatever it is. Let's go. He's got the good hair, Chris Fowler. You'd be good with him. But like me. I used to have it, you know, it's like the older you get, the better it used to be. I used to have the big fro. Now, listen, man, I go to number one, and I get, sometimes less options is better options. That's me. I'll leave the good hair to you, buddy. Oh, the fro was great, though. I, I remember that, and I've seen the pictures. Brad, you're the best. Appreciate it, my friend, and we'll talk to you again real soon. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to another incredible episode of the Adam Shine Podcast. Brad Gilbert, how awesome was that? Thanks to our listeners on SiriusXM, our listeners on Pandora, or thanks to our listeners on Apple Podcasts and with Stitcher. We record the Adam Shine Podcast all year round, so please hit the subscribe button so you don't miss an episode. You can always catch me every weekday on my SiriusXM radio show, Shine on Sports, which airs from 9 a.m. to noon Eastern on SiriusXM, Mad Dog Sports Radio, Channel 82. Thanks for listening. Talk to you soon. The Adam Shine Podcast is part of the SiriusXM Podcast Network. The executive producer of the Adam Shine Podcast, the great Bob Stew. The associate producers, Chris Tyler and Andrew Emmer. Sound designed by my guy, Robert Moore. Andy King is the director of sports podcasting for SiriusXM. And special thanks to SiriusXM Senior, Vice President of Sports Programming and Podcasting, the iconic Steve Cohen. Sirius XM Podcasts. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.